coming up next on the Wetfly Swing Podcast. They are more expensive. They are more beautiful, but they are not more fragile. Um, you can you can literally lay it on the highway and drive over it with your truck and pick it up and go fishing. And uh, in fact, when I go to shows, one of the first things I do with them is that I give up my little casting demos. You know, as I as I first string out a bunch of line, throw it down on the ground jump as high as I can and stomp it with my heels three times. And then I pick it up and I throw the full fly line out through the tip top. That was Bill Oyster describing one big bonus with bamboo fly rods, six days to perfection, Jimmy Carter and the trivia challenge today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time and want to support the podcast, a good way to do that is just click over to one of our sponsors' websites and let them know you heard about us on the show and check out some of their products and some of the things they have going on. And one of those sponsors is Jackson Hole Fly Company, a new kind of online fly shop. They've been designing and manufacturing their own high-quality fly rods, reels, and gear, and over a 1,000 fly patterns. You can head over to uh, Jackson right now and get 25% off your first order. That's uh, jhflyco.com swing to get started right now. That's jhflyco.com swing to get 25% off your first order. We're also sponsored by Bear Vault, who has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals out of your stuff. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash bearvault right now to check out this must-have solution. That's bearvault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T, to support this podcast and a great, secure food storage. Bill Oyster takes us behind the scenes into creating one of the largest bamboo-making classes in the country. We hear about the book that kicked off his journey some of the uh, common mistakes that he sees in his classes and uh, the six-day class to bamboo perfection. We've also got a bamboo trivia challenge, new one on this one, um, in the middle of this episode, so stay tuned for that. So without further ado, here he is, Bill Oyster from OysterBamboo.com. How's it going, Bill? Going good. How are you, Dave? Good. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to put this together. I know... Um, Shannon, we've been talking uh, on email, and she's been setting this up, and this has been kind of great to to finally get you on the show here. And uh, you know, I know you've been on a number of shows and and kind of done some a lot of stuff over the year. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, you know the bamboo rods you make at Oyster Bamboo and how unique some of the stuff you do there at the shop. But um, before we jump into all that, talk about how you first got into fly fishing, and then we'll take into your uh, your rods. How I got into fly fishing. Let's see. So first, uh, my first exposure to fly fishing was uh, as a kid, I uh, lived in Northwest Wyoming and growing up and I saw a family friend fly fishing. We went fishing, trout fishing, and I was throwing my worms and wrecking the fish. And there's a family friend over there with this really long, ridiculous rod, not catching anything. And I was like, I wonder what that's all about. And, um, 
and I kind of filed it away, but it, uh, as a kid, didn't pay too much attention to it, which was probably not a bad thing. And, um, and then later I came to the University of Georgia and uh, some friends invited me to go camping with them. And we went up to the North Georgia mountains, which I didn't even know existed at the time. And uh, all of a sudden there's crystal clear trout streams everywhere. And I thought when I left Wyoming, I'd left all that behind and, and uh, they pulled out the fly rods. And uh, so that was my first chance to actually use them. I was probably 19 or so and um, was just immediately hooked. I always loved fishing and um, I call fly fishing, fishing for grownups, you know, it's just a yeah. little more in-depth and hands-on and proactive and, and it just immediately reignited all my fishing passion and uh, been hooked on that ever since. That's it. And, and what was that? Do you remember those, those first rods they pulled out? Were those, were those bamboo rods? No, I, the, actually the first bamboo rod I ever fished with was the first bamboo rod I ever made. They were just, oh, wow. uh, they were, they were a very distant idea in my head until I, until I made one. That's it. So basically you, you get going there on the fly rod and then when does, you know, with making the bamboo rods, how does that come to be? You know, how, how long from there until, uh, you know, kind of that 19 year old until getting on the business? Well, I, uh, I really did everything else in fly fishing that I could think to get into first, honestly. I mean, I'd, I had done some guiding. I was teaching fly casting lessons for the shops. I was doing fly tying lessons and I always loved bamboo. I always thought they were really cool. I always had an artistic mindset and I'd read the John Gearak books and all this and just seemed like a really cool way to do it. But I also didn't have any money and they were this expensive, unobtainable, really cool idea that I just kind of shelved in my, in my mind. <clears throat> And then um, one day I was getting in my mid twenties and, and starting to put together a little bit of money, you know, and working. And I thought, man, you know, if I could save up just a little, I could get like an old rod or something and add that to the arsenal. It would just be fun to go out and catch them on one of these old bamboo rods. And uh, so, but then what happened as I was doing my research, trying to figure out what I should get, and this was kind of pre-internet where you couldn't really get any good information like it, uh, back then. So I came across a book called The Master's Guide to Building Bamboo Fly Rods. Oh, wow. And uh, it was about two inches thick and 60 pages of calculus equations and about <laughs> enough to turn anybody off from it even being a possible concept. But it just kind of ignited my interest in uh, and I got thinking about it I was like man the only thing cooler than buying a bamboo rod would be if I could make my own that would be about that'd be about the coolest thing I could think of you know <laughs> so I started asking around I went down to the fish hawk in Atlanta and talked to the owner Gary Merriman who tended to have pity on me regularly because I was a fish head with no money and <laughs> shopped off his uh, resale rack and uh, I said, do you know anybody that knows anything about how to make bamboo rods? And he'd be like, well, you know, I, this guy was talking about a lot. Give him a call. And so I'd go to this guy's house and, you know, and he'd made a third of a rod and given up. Hmm. And then 
that he'd say, Oh, but you should talk to old Jerry. He's a real master, you know? So <laughs> call up Jerry, go to his house. He'd made it halfway through the process before he gave up. And, um, so about each time I would buy a book or a piece of bamboo and, and by the time I was in, I exhausted all my resources I could locate. And, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And no matter what it casts like, no matter what it looks like, I'm not going to be another half rod wonder. Yeah. You know? I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So yep. I just set my mind to, and it was no way a business idea or anything like this. It was just part of, you know, to add to my, to my hobby, you know, it just, um, I just started collecting books and reading and starting to piece things together little by little. And yeah, so six months later, uh, all my spare time and energy, uh, once I had gotten the bamboo and actually started on it, it took me six months of all my spare time and energy. And I had the worst looking, worst casting bamboo rod ever made, but it, it was complete, you know? Yeah. So, and then the second one came out a little better than that. Uh, that's cool. And and what was your, that master's guide to bamboo, uh, to building bamboo fly rods, the person that wrote that book? Um, so that is Everett Garrison and Hoagie Carmichael. Oh, yeah. Uh, wrote that. Everett Garrison um, was the really the rod maker um, that, that taught Hoagie Carmichael, who's the son of the composer Hoagie Carmichael, and mm. wrote George on my mind. Oh, right. Right, right. Yeah. So. And he was, uh, he was sort of the, um, the pet rod maker of the New York Anglers Club. And so uh, Hoagie went to, to him and they helped him write this book and really packed in as much as a humanly possible on the subject into one book. Uh, pretty intimidating, but it's, uh, it's called the Bible. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's a good one to have. I mean, there's a lot of info in there and it was enough to to inspire me and a lot of other guys to see if this is something we could do ourselves. That's right. Yeah. I, rem I remember that book. My dad had that old book. I'm pretty sure. I, I almost want to say it has, was it, does it have a red cover? Um, it's been, I think there was one version that had a red it's um, usually they're green okay. and a lot of times they're hardback and they tend to go kind of in and out of publication. There'll be, you can buy them when they're being published for like 90 bucks and then they'll go out of publication and you might spend three or $400 on eBay trying to find a copy. Oh, gotcha. But, yeah. But there's other books out there too, that are uh, written by other guys that are even more understandable, I think, and uh, the, the, a little more modern and, and uh, make it a little more understandable, the whole process. That's awesome. So, so basically, yeah, it's kind of like trial and error. You you kind of went through it and just kept building rods. And along the way, I mean, you, you kind of struggled to find somebody to be, other than this book, to be your mentor. But did you run into other people along the way, or did you just keep kind of doing this on your own and just it created your a business and, and rods doing it your own way? Well, it would have, I would have loved to have had somebody to show me something, but um being down in uh, in Georgia, it wasn't exactly the hub of the bamboo world, you know, and um, and without YouTube as a guide or anything like this, I was pretty much left to my own devices. So I found five or six different books on the subject and um, made every mistake possible. I tried every technique I read about and I would just I would try one technique and if it didn't work or I didn't work as well, or I struggled with it, I, 
I would try somebody else's technique on a step. And so just little by little started piecing together through experience and trial and error, the, um, the technique that worked best for me. And, uh, the whole while I couldn't find anybody who could tell me anything other than the books. And in fact, the, what I found was the guys that were talking, didn't really know what they were talking about. Right. And, the, and the guys that knew what they were talking about at that time, wouldn't tell you a thing. No. I actually got letters in the mail from professional rod makers that were angry because they heard I was starting to make rods. And so <laughs> I, I was in no way well received when I got into the hobby. Uh, it was it was kind of going the way a lot of the old crafts where um, it's very jealously guarded and um, and yep. they weren't they weren't looking for new members, you know. Right. So I was and they were in a large way dying out, you know, yeah. but, um, just like the whole idea of the bamboo rods, it was really being replaced by the graphite rods and there weren't any or, or not many, um, new people coming into it, certainly not in keeping up with the number of old guys getting out of it. So I just had to, um, work my way through it. And, and I think because I was, using the books, I was only working off of the idea of ideals. You know, it was like sand until the varnish is perfect. Mm -hmm. So I would sand and it wasn't perfect. I'd be like, right. Man, I'm, my, my rods suck, you know, and I've got to make, you know, and you huh. know, straighten them until they're perfectly straight. And I, and I could never, you know, and then not until one day I went to a trade show up in New Jersey was the first time I saw any other rod makers work. And, uh, I was completely, I just assumed everyone was perfect, but me, you know, and uh, that was the first time I realized that, um, I wasn't as bad as I thought as it turned out. There you go. No, I love that. I love where you've gone with that, you know, with that story and just being open, you know, and I know you've talked about that before, that that's probably your secret sauce. You know, the fact that, you know, you kind of did it on your own, learned on your own, but then you were just open. You weren't trying to hide it. And I think that's that's the struggle. You see that a lot of times, you know, people feel like, you know, <laughs> they can't share their secrets. But they actually, that's a good business uh, tip, right, is to actually be open and share it because, you know, that's probably how the word of mouth got going with you. And then you started into classes, right? How long, how long before you started, like from square one, you're doing these books, you're going to that first show. How long before that until you're doing the classes? Well... I had only been doing into the rods a couple of years and when people, and I, I experienced the same thing in reverse that I had run into where people would come to me like at a trade show and say, you know, what kind of varnish did you use or what you, how'd you glue these to get? And the only thing, my only experience was, you know, you're supposed to respond. Oh, I can't tell you that that's proprietary mm. or, and, and I tried that and honestly, it, it felt bad. Like mm -hmm. I was, I was that person just very recently, you know, and, um, and there's gotta be a better way. And, uh, so when the opportunity, uh, arose and it was not, again, not my idea, but this wasn't a business I was pushing in the beginning. It was just something that kind of came to me, um, where people wanted to learn, I was like, there's gotta be a way to share this 
but still make a living. You know what I mean? Still mm-hmm. be able to be, you know, it's like approaching a guide saying, you know, give me all your fishing spots or all your, you know, yeah. you know, you say no. But what I had to figure out was how I can share and make other people feel as good as I did about the accomplishment, but also stay in business. And that's where the class idea came up. And, uh, and again, I got phone calls from other rod makers. I had one guy particularly told me in two years, he said, if you teach classes in two years, we'll all be out of business. Oh my gosh. You will kill the entire industry. Wow. That's what he told me like verbatim. And, uh, yeah. And, I did them anyway, and there's been nothing but an explosion. I mean, we're running uh, around 200 guys a year through here making their own rods. And when I started, there wasn't 200 guys that had an interest in making rods, you know, right. and now we're running 200 a year through here. So it's, you put the enthusiasm out there, you share it, it's only going to come back to you tenfold. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. And and some of the rods, I mean, you definitely, you've got that unique touch on the rods. I mean, just, and down to the, like the engraving, right? That's a nice touch that you do, which looks like a pretty uh, challenging thing to do, like with the high quality. We'll, we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. I was curious just on the skills, you know, and I've, we've had a few rod builders on this show before, but just thinking about what you do at the bamboo, if somebody's listening now and they really haven't built a bamboo rod well, first talk about your skills and then what skills does it take to, to do it? Do you feel like you had a background in some sort of the, these skills that would help you be at the level you are, or is this like something anybody can learn? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's a lot like fly fishing is the best analogy in that anybody can learn to do it. And then some people will become really great at it and everybody can enjoy it though, you know? So it doesn't, we like our classes are a great proof of this concept. We bring in people who've never made a birdhouse and mm. never done anything. Um, it is the first time they've ever made a thing with their hands. And with the right instruction and guidance, we can get them through to the end goal, you know? Um, yep. So it's, it's um, anybody can learn to do it. How well you do it, that's up to you. That's it. Uh, I love that analogy. That's perfect. So, and it's like the same, yeah, like fly fishing. I mean, you know, those, those guys, those guides that are just amazing, right? They've got it so dialed in. And part of it is that they just spent so much time on the water that they just know that river, right? Better than anybody else. And they spent tons of time practicing their, you know, casting and everything else. But, but it's just that higher level and you know, it when you run into those people and that's, I think you're that person for the, for the bamboo rod making, right. You just spent, you probably, whatever it is, like thousands of hours now. Right. I mean, it's hard to beat that experience, you know, that, um, comes from, there becomes a point when you go from copying other people's techniques to really understanding what you're trying to achieve. And, um, and then just the repetition. And then especially I find I've learned so much through teaching the classes because everybody's coming from a different place and they're like, what about this? What about that? What if I tried this way? And then they'll screw something up and you have to fix it. And all the time you're, you're learning all the different, every different little potential path. And it really helps kind of solidify the path you want to be on <laughs> when mm. you see people taking all these other paths, you know? So the uh, experience is, uh, is a hard one to, to replace for sure. Yeah, that's perfect. Nice. Well, I wanted to jump in a little bit here 
you know, just on the, you know, the process and we probably won't go deep into everything, but maybe just hit the surface. And I do also want to talk about some tips maybe as somebody, if they're, you know, into rod building or wanting to get into it, but, um, let, let's just start with, you know, the class. So if, and I know you do these things for, uh, you know, about 22 weeks, you know, out of the year. So you're doing them and you said to a couple hundred people, you got a lot of people going through. If I was coming to you, let's just start there and, you know, and I and I email you or probably email Shannon and say, "Hey, I want to do this uh, do this class." What's that look like? If I just called you, you know, emailed you today, you know, would that be something where you got to wait a little while to get in on it? Well, yeah, right. Right now, we're kind of a victim of our own success. We're booked solid for almost two years out. Right oh wow! Now. Um, so. We are at the end of this month. So if you got on our website and looked, um, you'll see all the classes and every single one of them is currently full. Um, but we are working on expanding, trying to, uh, trying to grow the thing. It's hard to be in business, not have anything to sell. Um, so right now it's a bit of a wait, but um, I think at the end of this month, Shannon will be posting the class schedule for 2024 will be up and um, we've already received a lot of deposits for 2024 but um, I don't know that they haven't picked dates because we don't have dates it's gotten to where people are sending us deposits on classes that don't exist yet right but but we'll have those up so we will have options and because we book so far out also we have sometimes things change with people, you know, people will book a class two years out and then their daughter's getting married or anything else like this. So sometimes things shuffle. So we also have a waiting list and you can sign up for right through the website. Sometimes guys are retired and uh, they'd rather not wait two years, but they can also drop everything and show up in a week in week's notice if we were to get a cancellation or something like that. So yep. uh, we're hoping to expand the shop. We've got to move some walls around, get a couple more benches. We currently have eight students to a class that we teach right now. Um, we could easily handle 10 with me and my staff uh, if we had room for them. So we're trying to to uh, to come up with some more options, but the best thing I tell people is just get a deposit in on anything, and one or two things will happen. If you want to come earlier, maybe you'll get lucky on the wait list, and we can get you in earlier, or before you know it, that two years, as time tends yeah, to goes do, fast. will go fast, <laughs> and, and you'll be here, and you'll be glad it that does. you had two years previous. Yeah, exactly. It does. And the two years gives you time to, you know, grab the book, grab the uh, uh, Bamboo Rod Building Bible, get caught up. You know, if somebody's going to be coming into that class, do you recommend if they have some time to actually, you know, read up on that stuff and be prepared? I mean, I'm sure they can just come there and just do it from scratch with you, but would that be a helpful kind of tip? I would say really only if you enjoy that sort of thing. Some personalities really want to do that research. They enjoy the reading and the, and the learning and all, but honestly, all it might do is confuse you right. if you get these ideas too locked in your head because every rod maker does things a little bit different. Yeah. And, um, there's been a lot of things. There's very little literature, including the master's guide that was written by an actual full-time bamboo fly rod maker, because like I said, the guys that are doing it, they tend to be doing it, not writing about it. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, it's, it's interesting. The question that comes to my mind on this is that, 
you know, you've created this, uh, this class, right. With, with a lot of people and you're teaching a lot of people, you know, I, I would imagine, um, you know, a book, right. would be in the future for you. Have you thought about, you know, putting that together? Because I can imagine you could probably write the new Bible. Yeah, we've, we get, uh, approached with that concept pretty regularly and it's on the back burner, but honestly, we are so busy. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've only recently gotten to where I can work just five days a week. And I mean, recently, like in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. I've got two kids and, um, and time is real commodity. So taking on uh, new challenges outside of what we already do with the rods and the classes is uh, something maybe when I start pulling back a little bit, you know, and have a little more time, then maybe I'll, I'll get around to that sort of thing. But, um, for now, if you want what's in my head, you have to, have yeah, you got to come to class. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Now. Well, and so how, it seems like that's one of the challenges, right? It sounds like you want to eventually do a little more scaling or, you know, add some classes and, um, but that is a challenge, right? To take somebody on as a mentor for yourself, right? And teach them to everything. Is that, is that the biggest challenge? Like you, you literally, like if I was to come in there and say, Hey, I want to be your mentor, teach me everything, you know, that would, would be something that is like what almost impossible or very hard to do. We are always looking for people. We have about a half a dozen full-time guys here all the time. Now, half of, because it is a business, half of those do website and emails and the real business side of things, which unfortunately has to be done as well. Otherwise nobody would, would be here and nobody would want our Mm -hmm. rods. Um, So you can make them all day long. If, if you can't handle the rest of it, it's, it's tough. So, um, but I've got my right hand man, Riley has been with me full time for 13 years. Um, we've got, uh, at least one or other two, one or two other rod makers on staff all the time. I've got an engraving assistant helps me with the engraving. Then mm-hmm. um, my wife, of course, who you spoke to, yep. it, uh, really heads up the show on the business side of things. And her assistant, Cassie, uh, is full time as well. So um, we are, I would love, if you want to come and be a professional bamboo rod maker, Send me your resume, man, because this is not something, this has been my life's work for 20, I don't know, 24 years or something uh-huh. now. I have no interest in this ending with me, you know, when you spend your whole life building a thing, uh, this is why I don't sign the rods. It just has the Oyster logo because mm-hmm. this is, in my mind, this is not a business about me. I have no interest in being Bill Oyster, a famous fly fishing guy. I want people to uh, to know that our rods exist and our quality and the rods themselves to be the reputation um, because I want this to go on for generations. You know, um, it's uh, it's not about me. It's it's about what we do and other people that like me are going to need a home for themselves mm-hmm. just like I did. And I would love to be that that home for for those guys as well so the next bill oysters out there please give me a call quick break for a word from our sponsor deddy flies established in 1928 is the oldest family-run fly shop in the country and you know i love uh, supporting the history and the great shops out there that's the backbone of fly fishing so if you get a chance would love you can head over to deddy give them a shout out let them know 
uh, you heard about them through this podcast. They're located in Livingston Manor, and Deddy is your welcoming place online or on the creek. Their retail and online shop have a large selection of flies, materials, fly fishing gear, books, and more. Deddy Fly's inventory consists solely of products that meet every angler's demand for the highest quality and service. You can uh, visit Deddy right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash Deddy, D-E-T-T-E, or you can give them a call, 845-439-1166 right now. You support this podcast by clicking over to that link to Deddy. Okay, back to the show. And I'm thinking, like, if you look at Riley or, or you know, I mean, potentially, right, you've got somebody who's been there a while. Um, I mean, when, with your work, do you feel like you, so you're not at that point, really, where you can just be like, hey, I'm going to take off, you know, two weeks and, and let Riley take the lead on the classes. That, that's uh, kind of a little not, not quite there yet. Well, he could. And, you know, I've like broken bones during classes and things and had, he, he knows them inside and out. He first came as a student here mm-hmm. 14, 15 years ago. So um, he's up there watching the class now while I'm talking. Oh, to there you go. And, and Dean has been here for, for years now as well. He's upstairs. So they could a hundred percent do it, but uh, for now people expect to see me and um, yeah. I'm be involved myself as long as humanly possible. Um, but I have to pace myself also <laughs> for the That's long right. haul. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> it's interesting, Bill, because I, I've been, you know, with the scaling stuff, it's, you know, we're obviously going off on a little business thing here, but it's, it's interesting to me. And there's a lot of businesses in the fly fishing space that listen to this show as well. So there's probably some value here, but yeah, the scaling thing is interesting because you feel like, oh man, you know, you have to be there because it's right. come for you. But but ultimately, I think that when you teach that person that is as good as you and they're doing it, I think people understand that they're like, hey, I'm not going to be able to get Bill Oyster every time. And, uh, and the more that you take yourself out of it slowly, right, the, the better chance that you have to uh, kind of meet you know, some of those scaling things. So, no, it's interesting because it, I mean, it, it was me, like you said, you know, I would love to, if, it, if I was going to do it, it's like, hey, I want to be with Bill. I want to be with the guy who's got the name on right. the teaching me. So it is a struggle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I first started, that was kind of the idea. Like I, the idea was if you're a professional bamboo fly rod maker for whatever that is, you, you just get a big long waiting list and you charge a couple grand and you've made, and I did that. I was um, still in my twenties and I had a four year waiting list and I was charged in a very typical rate as to the best guys out there. And I was working seven days a week till three in the morning and, and coming up on trade show times, I would literally pull all nighters. I would work. Wow. I would not sleep at all. And I still wasn't making anywhere approaching a middle class income. You know? And and I was that point, I was like, I either got to get a job at home Depot or I have to, be smarter about this. And it has to be, um, if I'm going to raise a family, if I'm not going to rely on my wife's income, if, you know, if, if you wanted to actually have a real business, unfortunately, at some point you have to start <laughs> applying yep. your business brain a little bit, but it's been fabulous because I'm not on the grind day and night, you know, it doesn't burn you out. I'm not yeah. that cranky old rod maker that, doesn't want to talk to you because he's going to be working until three in the morning. It's, um, 
it's allowed us to to grow and the helps of people bringing in other people has only helped us you know yeah so that's it so you're i mean yeah you're definitely you're doing it you're on you're on track and it's just a matter of yeah, just over time, the more as far as you want to go, right? But it is interesting because when you look, and we're going to dig into some tips, like we said in a, in a bit. But um, you know, because when you look around the country, the bamboo rod stuff, right? You still don't see these massive. Um, you know what I mean? There's just not these big industries around bamboo fly. And is that just a matter because there's just not that many people interested in bamboo rods? I think there's a ton of people these days interested in it, but what they find when they get into it is just like being a career fly fishing guide or, or, or a professional fly tire, it seems like a great idea. There's right. a lot interested, but really it's, um, it is one, it's not the best. <laughs> no, you're not going to make a million dollars. You're not going to make bazillions of dollars, right? Yeah. There's like room, honestly, the industry is big enough. There's room for a couple of guys. Oh, right. And, and so if you're the, best of the best you can you can do it you know and i'm certainly not telling anybody you can't do it but if you get online and look at um these websites if you're like google custom bamboo rod or a class 99 percent of the websites you see out there are even guys that say they're full-time bamboo rod makers which they are but they don't mention that they retired from their job you know five years ago and full time is means they don't have any other job. That is in no way a knock. These guys are what keeps the enthusiasm. If it was just down to me and a couple other guys that pay their mortgage to keep the word alive, we couldn't do it, you know, but most of the rods being made and sold right now are from part-time hobby guys that make a handful of rods a year and enough money to pay for their, trip to the rod conclave and they can hang out with other rod makers and share the passion and it's wonderful it's it's important part of it um and guys that come to me that want to get into it they want to get into it as a job uh, i'm like by all means come on i'll show you everything you know but um so it, it that is the industry is dominated by part-time people that's it uh, and it's because it's not because they wouldn't love to be the full-time people. It's just that when it's three o'clock in the morning, a lot of guys are going to go to bed and a couple of guys are going to keep working, you know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You're speaking to, I mean, it's the really, it's the passion. I mean, we, we, you know, we talk about that, but really that's what it comes down to. I mean, if you want to do it, like you've done it, you could definitely do it, but it's going to take, like you said, you know, you've been, you've been grinding and spending, you know, like all nighters, right? I mean, Jesus, that's like, I mean, how do you, how do you do an all nighter? That that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to really want it. You know, you really have to have the, the real passion for it. And that's why when I hire guys to work here, the biggest thing, honestly, that I look for is real fish heads, like guys that I realize aren't going to do anything thing out they have no option to do anything else because yeah. not because they couldn't but because they you know riley's a great example both his parents are doctors he flunked out of college three weeks <laughs> in because he was spending all his time fishing exactly. yeah I mean, he has all the potential in the world but he's flipping burgers uh and fishing because he just can't help himself you know what i mean yeah, yeah and, that's uh, and that's i was i like i'm gonna do it anyway uh, but I also have to eat and 
I find it in the fly fishing industry. Those are the guys that, that make it long-term because there's much better ways to make a living. And then you can hire a guide and go and catch all the big fish, you know, and, um, you know, bite, let somebody else make your rod, go fishing, man. But for, for some people, you've got to be nothing but being around at 24 seven will do. And that's the way I am. And that's the way my whole crew is. That's perfect. Well, let's just jump into, you know, and again, on the process, and we'll kind of just zip through it. And we've talked about this, I'll put some links to old episodes we've had uh, with some other rod builders. But um, so we talked about getting on. So let's say, you know, we're two years, fast forward two years, and now I'm coming into your class. And what, first of all, what time of year? When do you do these 22 weeks? We do them all year round. Okay. We try not to do them back to back weeks if possible, because they're six days long and we've got to set up and take down in between, you know, for, so, um, so basically about every other week we do a class 12 months a year, uh, because we're in North Georgia, we've got trout, we've got the mountains, but we also are accessible 12 months a year. We're not snowed in, um, you can, we have guys flying from the Atlanta airport from all around the world. We got a guy upstairs right now, uh, flew in from England and, um, we get guys from Australia, New Zealand, Argentina, and they can fly into the Atlanta airport. We can have a car service, pick them up, bring them up. They can stay in the inn right on site. We're downtown in the little historic district and they can walk to all their meals and, um, you know, and the car will take them back to the airport. So it allows us, uh, the, it's real easy to get here and, uh, we can run 12 months a year. That's cool. And what town are you in? We're in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Oh yeah. Blue Ridge. All right. Perfect. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's the, uh, the getting there. So once you get there, let, let's walk through just quickly the six days. What, what's, um, so the class you have upstairs, are they, when did they get started? So they started at eight 30 this morning. So they had their first day. So today is Monday. So literally the, the people come in like on a Sunday, the day before something like that. And then they, they're ready to go for Monday. Yeah, this is so yeah, they'll come in on Sunday and uh and crash at 8:30 in the morning. Uh we meet them at the front door and they come in and uh everybody has their own bench, everybody has their own tools and um you can make whatever you want to make. Uh saltwater rod, freshwater rod, doesn't matter. And um they'll spend we start with a piece of bamboo. They walk into a bench with a giant 12-foot long piece of bamboo on it and um they will do every bit of it themselves. And um, they, at the end of the week, and so the first three days, they'll make the blank of the rod, the shaft mm-hmm. of the rod. And then the last three days, they will spend um, doing, wrapping on the guides, doing the varnish work, all of that. And we're dip varnishing, doing it the traditional way. And uh, they'll get three coats of varnish on it. And um, they'll finish up Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, they can take the thing fishing. It's, ready to go slap a reel on it and fish it that's it they're ready to go when you look at the the process in those six days um and you think if you had to say you know some tips on when you know you're talking so people are doing it what are there some things that stick out to you like hey these are some things some tips that i i'm going to tell those people or is it always changing like if somebody starts you know one person's doing it up there does it vary a lot on how they do it or is it exactly kind of like you do it each time we have, we have a real um, program, uh, a step-by-step 
formula. So basically, we've taken an extremely complex project <laughs> and broken it into its tiniest pieces. And we cut out all the fat and we just focus on the techniques, the things that really matter the most about that one little step. And we, we demonstrate it. We talk about what we're going to do, why we, we demonstrate it. We've got close up cameras and big screen TV. So you can see every little detail. Um, we have Q and a, and then we get you working and you really just focus on it. It's like eating an elephant one bite at a time. You know, we just focus on that one little bite and through the years um, and through thousands of students through, we, we've learned where their most common mistakes are, what things they should really focus on. And those are the things we really emphasize, you know? So the rods that they're bringing out are, so far beyond <laughs> the early rods that I was making even um, is uh, it's shocking. So, but yeah, we just, uh, we just eat that elephant one bite at a time. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. And so I love the mistakes because that, that uh, that's a good way to look at this. Like people are doing it. What are, can you talk about some of those common mistakes that people are making when they're building? Cause we, you know, obviously we can go through the whole process. We won't cover all that today, you know, from, from splitting the bamboo to, you know, kind of heating it up and all that. But when you think of the, you know, the, the steps like these, this class up here for the next six days, are there a few top mistakes that always come up? Yeah. The, uh, I would say one of the big, uh, days we are got to be on the edge of our seats is planing day so if anybody doesn't realize there's each section of the rod is made with six individual strips of bamboo and they're planed into triangles and then they're tapered fat to thin so we're running a block plane down a steel jig called a planing form to give it its action and we have to plane within thousandths of an two one thousandths of an inch tolerances so it's extremely fine and if you think about the tip of a fly rod and you divide the size of that delicate little tip by six, that's how fragile these little strips are that you're block plane down. Wow. So, and we're three days into the process at this point when you're planing these strips and uh, breaking one of those guys is always a real, it's the real pucker factor there. Because it's a long way back to bring up a brand new strip from scratch uh, and catch it up. So we're always uh, we always tell people, you know, this is the big screw up you got to watch out for on this step. This is the one that's, you know somebody always breaks the tip. Don't be that guy, you know. So uh, we try to really emphasize your danger points. Uh, We've had guys that just got back from the Middle East. They say, like, I wasn't so scared over there as I was planning these trips out. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, but we get them through. The, the, the dirty little secret is if they do have an accident, if they do break something, if they do, you'd really have to get creative to make a mistake we haven't seen before. All right. And we know exactly how to fall back, regroup, and get you back on track, you know. So, yeah. Uh, Everybody gets there. We don't send anybody home with part of a rod. Gotcha. I learned that real early on. As soon as you leave a week here, class or uh, life gets in the way, you know, especially if you've been gone for a week. So you, we don't send people home with rods that are almost done. No. All you got to do when you leave here is go fishing. 
That's perfect. So, well, and the days wise is kind of interesting too, to think about what's going to be done each day, because I, I mean, I've built some rods and, you know, I love that you're doing this thing in six days. So like if you take day one, so like you said, you got this 12 foot chunk of bamboo. What, what does day one look like? What, what do they do? What are they starting? You know what they start with? What's the end of the day look like on day one? So the end of the day, you've got your rods, your bamboo has been flamed the nodes filed, which will only mean anything to other bamboo guys, but uh, you, you you flame it, you file the nodes. Basically cleaning up the rod, getting the nodes off, and then also the flaming yeah. gives it its strength, right? Yeah, and it, uh, and really even more than that, it's going to affect the color. You oh, know, right. So the bamboo, of course, is yellow, and if you want a brown rod, hit it with the blowtorch. Um, and then we'll split it into all of its little quarter inch wide strips and that'll all be done by lunchtime. And then after lunch, um, we're going to take those strips. We're going to figure out which ones you want to use in the rod. We're going to figure out what position they each should land in your final product. And then you can take those sections, cut them to length, remove the enamel, um, and get them ready to run through the beveler. And, uh, the rough beveler is just, which is something they'll do the following morning, which it just puts your a rough triangle on them, no taper or anything like that. It just takes your square strips and puts them into a rough, roughly triangular shape. Um, but so the first day you've got all your strips that are going into your rod. They're all cut to length. Um, they've all been prepped on the outside and they're ready to start straightening out when you come in on Tuesday morning. Yeah, that's it. Straight now, then, and the beveler is interesting because I know in one of the episodes we had, um, I'll put a link in there. We had the folks from uh, Tom Morgan Rodsmiths um, mm-hmm. on to tell the story. You know, and Tom, I'm you know I'm sure you, you know you know some of the history there. But I think it wasn't yeah. was the beveler? Didn't he have a tool that he created that was something pretty impactful in, in kind of the, the rod building for bamboo rods? He had uh, and still has. I'm. I would imagine you could still buy the things. I'm certain. I would imagine that because I think the company is still continuing. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Tom Morgan uh, hand mill. It's oh. called. Mm-hmm. And it is. Um, it's a hand push plane that has two cutting teeth in it. Um, that you push it, and it's. They're like scraper um, blades, and they take two cuts at a time uh, and maintain that 60-degree angle. And uh, it's a really cool tool. I've used it. I've made it early on. I, I tried it, made quite a few rods with it. and It's a neat tool for, for me. I think the big thing when I started teaching the classes, every book out there is going to show you how to do this with a block plane. And, um, and personally, I, I just prefer it it's not that it's a better job or anything it's just a different tool and it's an older way of doing it and oh it's, gotcha it's nice to push a block plane and take that curl off for there and um so so that's the way we do it uh, when we do all of our tapering but a great tool and tom morgan what a uh, what a treasure uh, of a guy there he was so yeah um yeah, he created a pretty nice rod as well, right? The, the, the... Yeah, and that guy's just a lifelong enthusiast. You know what I mean? Just somebody that never, that never got over it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's pretty a pretty amazing story there with that. Um, so I'll get a link out to that in the show notes as well. But let's keep going here. So day two, you start off. You mentioned, um, well, let, let's start with day. Two. So at the so you start off with day two. How do you start off, and then how's day two end? 
Uh, so day two, you've got all your little strips and uh, we're ready to be uh, straightened. And that's what we'll do. We'll get in over a flame and vices. And we're the nice thing about bamboo is you can heat it and it will relax kind of like plastic or something and you can reposition it and then it'll cool and it'll hold that new shape so we'll straighten the thing out um, once we get them straight we'll run them through that rough beveler um, they'll get tempered in the oven and uh, and we'll set up our planing forms get ready basically do everything short of the planing which brings us to day three short and of the thing. gotcha yeah, and day three is when we'll come in and the, the day three is dedicated to actually planing your tapers into the rod and, um, and finishing all of your strips. And then at the end of the day, you'll glue those strips into a blank. So and them with string. So by the end of day three, everybody's got their glued up blank uh, on their bench and it will dry overnight when they come in for day four. What's the, when you're gluing, is there, what's the most challenging part of that? Is that pretty simple or is that, is that a tough part? Well, we bind by hand, um, instead of using a binding machine, like a lot of guys do. And, uh, I much prefer it. I get better, um, results that way I feel. Um, but it's, it's a hand process. So it's up to you to, it can go really well or it can go more poorly. So it's all about controlling the tension as you go. And still working quickly because of the glue. Then we've got to get it straight in time. So, um, but we get everybody through it. Like I said, we'll we'll be we'll have one of us right there with you when you go through the glue up process because things got to move pretty quick so we can get it where it needs to be in time to get the strongest bond. But we bind it up and down by hand and straighten by hand and by eye, and uh, are able to achieve uh, better results that way than any kind of tool or or anything that uh that i've come across yet perfect all right and then so now that gets the rod to basically the rod's about done is, is day four what, what's that look like when you start off day four day four is when we actually start turning that blank into something usable so we've got to get all the string and the glue off of it from where we bound it up and we got to get your start getting your hardware on your ferrules figure out how your sections are going to join, do all the little things. We'll actually, you'll make your own grip. So we'll glue half inch cork rings directly onto the blank of the rod. And then you'll spin that blank in the lathe and shape your own grip, however you want it to be. Basically, uh, it's all those little things, prepping the guides, choosing your thread color, getting ready to wrap your guides in place, which is day five. Yep. That's day five. So, so the yeah. rod wrapping. Yep. Yeah. And day five is pretty much dedicated entirely to wrapping on those guides. We use the traditional silk thread. It's very fine, very small and delicate. And uh, it takes, takes most of the day for people to really get them the way they want. Uh, if they've got extra time, they can do all their decorative trim wraps. You choose any colors and things like that you want. And um and then we will apply the first coat of finish directly onto the thread. Um, the last thing is the last thing we'll do uh, that evening. So that's Friday evening. And then um, the rods will go into the varnish in the middle of the night. It's the only thing that we'll do uh, 
uh, for you is just, we're just lowering them into the tube of varnish. Uh, we do a dip varnish method, which is where you immerse the whole rod into the varnish vertically and then a little electric motor pulls it out just about three inches a minute so extremely slowly section by section so and we used to even have the students do that but we had uh, a uh, <laughs> we had a student once slip and fall into a bunch of freshly varnished rods so oh, like, God. we'll dunk them for you there's no big mystery there yeah everybody get it happens all day saturday as well so you get to see that uh, yep. exactly how it works but all we're doing is lowering in putting them on the clip oh. and hitting the switch how would you do that if you weren't if you, if you didn't have a dunking tank how would you do your varnish yeah a proper varnish room set up as for dip varnishing is pretty elaborate and honestly not really worth doing unless you were really you know going to be selling the things and and being really, really particular about it. So, but um, you could get out, once you've got the blank made, you can get out the old Home Depot foam brush and uh, and uh, can of varnish and just brush coat the thing. We've done it with prototypes, uh, one piece rods that we couldn't fit in the varnish room. Um, the rod, trout rod I fished the most is a one piece and I just brushed it with a foam brush. And sand and steel wool between coats, uh, get a nice coat going, and then you can just wrap on your guides and coat the guides themselves separately. And right. uh, it's not quite as fine as uniform a finish as if you had dip varnished the whole thing, but um, certainly very serviceable and you can make it look very nice as well. And there's, there's guys, um, even professionals that do it in a similar way to that. So there's there's lots of ways to skin this cat yep. nobody's right and wrong you can do it however uh, makes you happy you know that's right okay so you get that and then day six is kind of just kind of uh, cleaning up what, what's that look like day six um you, you come in and it's all about we're really trying to get that varnish as nice as we can so we're going to get uh, two more coats of varnish on on that saturday the sixth day and so you do all your prep work. Uh, we're sanding and steel wooling and cleaning, and we'll spend about two hours getting it ready for its next coat of varnish in the morning. And then you'll have a little break, four-hour break. A lot of guys will go fishing. We've got some private waters up here where they can book a day and just go in and whack mm -hmm. some some big fish and uh, mm -hmm. if they want to and and. Uh, kill their four hours and then uh, we'll meet back in the afternoon and we'll do it again. Uh, a lot of sanding and steel wooling and cleaning. And, um, and then at that point, you'll also sign your rod, uh, whatever you want to write on your rod, put your name on it. We'll glue the real seats on and, and, uh, and get them into their next coat of varnish. And at that point, your work on the rod is done at that afternoon session but we need time for that varnish to dry. And uh, so we cut everybody loose and uh, a lot of times go out for a celebratory dinner and drinks and relax a little bit and uh, reward themselves for a long week. And we'll meet up at eight 30 that evening to uh, see what everybody's done all week. We'll have all your rods displayed out and we'll uh, get together, talk rod care, how to take care of it, take some photos and say our goodbyes. Today's episode is sponsored by Lake Lady Rods, building distinctive custom rods, each created one at a time. Custom built to be the most sensitive tool an angler could ask for, 
Lake Lady uses top of the line products and components. And I can definitely attest to the Lake Lady quality. I've been using the four weight, the nine foot four weight for trout. It's been great. I recently had it on that still water trip. We were casting a sinking line out there. It was great. It felt like I could shoot it a country mile. So it was really cool to have that. And then, and while we were floating across the lake, I could always uh, steer at it, steer at the rod and the, and the great craftsmanship as we were going, you know, the handle, um, the jungle cock inlays, all the little fine, 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 fine finishing touches and quality that Chris provides in each rod. I want you to connect to Lake Lady right now. He's got the passion and a promise going on that you can't resist. You will get the most unique custom rod you have seen this year. Check him out right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash Lake Lady, L-A-K-E-L-A-D-Y to support this podcast and a great rod company now. So when you look at those rods, they're laid out on you know the last day, and you've got eight different rods, right, sitting there. Yeah. I mean, like the worst versus the best. I mean, is it is there is it obvious, or do they all look pretty similar? I think to the untrained eye, you would really it would really be hard pressed to say this one's better than that one, or you know what I mean. It's um, yeah. I'm honestly amazed at the results that um, we're getting out of here. I feel like we've just fine-tuned the, the process so well that, um, like I tell the students, we're always aiming for the center of the bullseye. But even if you hit the edge of the bullseye a few times, mm. you're still in good shape, you know? Gotcha. So, um, you know, to me and Riley and Dean and the guys here, we could we could look at one and, and we could see things. Yeah. Uh, but it is, if you just learn this on your own, um, we are putting people years ahead in the, on the spectrum of where they would be um, doing it the hard way, which is how I did it. You know? That's right. That's right. And, and part of that, we mentioned at the start, the engraving, that's kind of a cool part of it because you had that finishing touchdown on, was it usually just on the real seat butt or sometimes you engrave the whole real seat? Talk about that a little bit. Is your, how you're engraving, is that something that historically on old rods you would see a lot or is that something unique to what you do? We try not to do anything um, that doesn't have historical precedent because yeah, we want them to be modern functional our actions are much more modern than the old buggy whip style you know we make mm. a lot of saltwater rods which are fast action we've got a tremendous 12 weight tarpon rod but so they're updated to a degree but the engraving the the rattan grips the swelled butt with the inserts all of these things have a historical background now, maybe they didn't do a lot of them, but the, the big companies all did them for their special rods, you know, or their higher end models. And, and our niche, I, I figured out early on, I wasn't going to, I loved the idea of what if I could make them cheaper, you know, and more accessible to people. I loved that concept because I couldn't afford uh, an expensive rod. But what I found really quick was I wasn't fast. <laughs> I, I was good at it, but I wasn't fast at it. And I was too meticulous and too much of a perfectionist that I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, speed of production was not going to be my strong suit. Yeah. Uh, but what I could do uh, with my art school background and uh, is, is do it to a very high level 
and and then I just hoped that there was a market for that. And and fortunately for me, there was, and and that higher end has kind of become our niche. So if you want a really basic rod, we can absolutely make you one of those. A lot of our saltwater rods, just real simple, real basic. Um, and I think will still be of extremely high quality um, compared to um, what else is out there. But mm -hmm. if you want a really fancy, heavily customized rod, we're by far the place to go, you know, because that is a, a real focus. So the engravings we do, any part that's metal on it, um, the entire real seat, the ferrules, we do gold inlay, we do sculpted scenes of the dog portraits, um, just about anything you could imagine. Um, they're banging out nodes upstairs right now. So. Yeah. So what is that? So, so now describe, this is pretty awesome. This is like, I love this because normally, <laughs> normally I'd be like, Hey, let, let's get rid of the noise in the background, but because, right. because they're building the rod. So they're on day one and they're actually the nodes. So, so where are they at? The, the nodes are the, the bamboo actually has these little bumps in it, right? Talk about what they yeah. are. So the, uh, the ridges you see on the outside of the bamboo are um, what we call nodes, which are supporting diaphragms on the inside of the bamboo, just little discs that are in this hollow tube. So that helps support it in nature. But to us as rod makers, they're just in the way. So um, we are trying to minimize their effects. So they, they have just recently, they filed the outside of the nodes to the degree that we need them filed. And then they flamed the outside of the rod. And now before they start splitting it into the individual strips, they need to get those internal node diaphragms out of the way. So they're just hammering those out right now. And that's the commotion we hear in the background. We got, got eight guys up there hammering nodes. Yeah. Uh, it'll only take them a couple of minutes, but uh, they're uh, preparing to split the strips into all the little oh. individual skinny strips so they got to remove those diaphragms out of the way so the splitting knife is not getting hung up in those as they're working oh, gotcha. their way down the lane. yeah so they're going to split it split the bamboo into uh into six segments is that how it works they're going to split it into as many segments as they can get uh oh, okay. that are about a quarter of an inch wide so oh, right. um we will only use six from the butt and six from the tip that will go into your rod but we don't know yet this early in the process, which ones will work for us, which ones won't. We're going to call out any strips with blemishes. You might remove the enamel and find wormholes or watermarks and things that we don't want in the finished product. So hopefully they'll get 10 or 11 strips from each section, and then we'll choose the best six in the best uh, section of those six strips to go into your rod. There it is. Okay, perfect. So, the, so they're working on that up there, and and uh, so I had a couple of things here. Just um, the I know you talked about this before, but you had a pretty cool. Uh, I guess is it you call it the presidential rod. You, you've you've made a uh, a rod for one president, right? At least one. Can you talk about that? And uh, just quickly, we'll hear that story. I think was it Jimmy Carter? Yeah, Jimmy Carter was. Uh, <laughs> we've done a number of rods for him, and. Um, and that's one that a lot of people remember. Uh, that was a great commission to get. He's a he's a real fly fisherman. I mean, yeah. I've I've not only made rods for him, I've guided him as well. Oh, wow. And he and Rosalind both 
they're not there to shake hands. They are all about fly fishing and, um, they are good at it also. And, um, but yeah, I, I was commissioned to make a rod for him, uh, a long time ago. And this was the idea on that rod was the, um, he was going to fish it for a year so he has a human rights organization, the Carter Center in Atlanta, which yep. politics aside, um, the, whatever you think of, of the political situation with Jimmy yep. Carter, his human rights organization has done amazing things ever since his presidency. And they travel the world. They, they help ensure free elections and they go to really horrible war zones and places and Africa and in the Middle East. And um, so, but the idea that the Carter Center had was they would have a rod built for him and um, he would fish it for a year and it would all be documented. And then they have a big auction to raise money for the Carter Center every year. And this would be one of their auction items. And um, long story short, um, by the time I finished the rod, and uh, he saw it, he decided that they would be commissioning for a new rod for the auction because that was going to be his rod. And uh, so he kept that. He liked it so much. He kept it and um, and used that. And then uh, every so often they will, again, commission us to make another rod that he will still present at the auction and um, and is raised many hundreds of thousands of dollars for the Carter center. So it's a neat thing to be involved with. And, um, wow. It's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool deal. That is cool. Yeah. I think uh, Carter is, uh, yeah, 97 years old, I guess. And he's the oldest, um, yeah. Oldest living and longest lived president. So he's done, like yeah. you said, 41 year retirement, right? I mean, he's... <laughs> you know, and, and the first time I met him, uh, he, he was really interested in the classes and mm. he said, and he's a big woodworker and stuff too. And I said, you know, you should really get in here. And, oh, well, when I leave here, I'm flying straight to there and flight straight to there. And I was like, well, maybe when you get old and retire, you can uh, come and take <laughs> a class, you know? So I'm yeah. still waiting for him to retire. There he you go. Old, but he hasn't yet retired. So there you go. I love it. You just inspire me, Bill, on this to uh, every 100 episodes, we try to bring on some, you know, huge fly fishing, right, uh, person in, in the space. And usually they're historic figures. You know, we had Joan Wolf on an episode 100, but I could, I, Jimmy Carr, even though he's 97, I think that's my, that's my new main goal is to get. Be, he would be a good one to talk to. He's, uh, he's, yeah. he's quite a character and talk about, talk about a storied history. Yeah. Yeah. And he wrote a book, right? I mean, he, I remember that he's got a yeah. book. I think he wrote like probably 30 years ago or something like that. In yeah. 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 He's a, one of his favorite quotes is, um, they asked him when he lost the election, he was just distraught, you know? Oh, right. And, um, they, one reporter asked him, what are you going to do now? You know, cause he thought he was going to be doing the president thing for four more years. And uh, he responded, I'm going to learn to become a really good fly fisherman. Yeah, there you go. Really, that's what he said. That's amazing. Yep, and he did. And he did. Gosh, there you go. Cool. Yeah, so I think one um, one thing we do occasionally when we have time is this uh, little trivia challenge. And uh, this one we have going right now is uh, is the uh, Togan's Trivia. So at uh, wetflyswing.com slash trivia, 
we'll have uh, we'll have where people that are listening to this can answer this question. But uh, so give us your your trivia. So we got a bamboo. We've been talking a lot about bamboo rods today. What is one question that uh, maybe you think would be a good one for this trivia challenge? Okay. All right. I think so. A good question that a lot of people may not realize um, is fly fishing obviously has been going on for thousands of years, but the split bamboo fly rod was invented in one particular country that launched uh, that rendition of the fly rod that stood as the world standard until modern materials came along. And uh, so the question would be, what country can lay claim to the invention of the split bamboo fly rod? Perfect. Perfect. And we'll put a, it'll make it real easy there. Just the open uh, people can answer that. And then, uh, and then we'll pick one winner uh, from that. And then we'll, we'll send out some swag. So that's a, that's a great trivia question uh, yeah. that, we'll, that we'll get taken care of. Um, I, just a couple more here. You know, I think we didn't go deep into anything, you know, if, if people want to dig deeper into this and, you know, like they can't get into your class. Um, I mean, what do you recommend? Somebody comes in right now, they're like, they're fired up to build a bamboo rod. What, what would you tell that person? I would say there is a tremendous wealth uh, of information on the internet these days. You know, when I started, it was so hard to find anything, but now there, there's no secrets in the world anymore. I mean, uh, get on YouTube, um, look around, buy all the books that you can find and, um, and give it a try. It's, um, it's certainly not rocket science or I never would have been able to do it, you know? So uh, it's, it is certainly an attainable goal and it's a one, just like fly fishing. It's a wonderful hobby because you can learn to do this sort of thing, um, in a relatively short amount of time, but you will never master it. There's always something new to learn, always something new to try new place to look. So, um, don't be intimidated, you know, give it a go. And, um, and, uh, if, if you fail, worst case scenario, come to one of our classes and there you we'll, go. We'll get you back on track. There you go. Perfect. And you guys have actually a YouTube channel. Do you do any, any like uh, videoing of actually, you know, rod building tips there? We don't have any rod building stuff on there right now. Our, our YouTube channel is really pretty basic. It's just a place where we've hosted just a collection of strange videos here and there, but um, we're going to start adding more and more uh, stuff to that uh, as I'm told to. So Shannon, yeah. there you go. <laughs> my wife helps manage all of the online stuff. So uh, I'm not even sure how to get on our Instagram page, but uh, I'm go. still kind of living back in the 1800s, but um, yeah, we're, we're trying to keep pace with the times as much as, uh, as much as we can. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the YouTube would be cool. I mean, I could see that again, like like just like we mentioned earlier, the writing the book, you know, having this in some sort of a way for people to, you know, write, pay for a course online, or maybe that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing, but that, that would be a great right. resource to get yeah. into. Yeah. There's a lot of great potential out there. Um, the hard part about the online is uh, there's so much specialized equipment that you need. And oh, things. right. It would still be a substantial investment. Oh, just for yeah making one or two rods, you know, so, so it is definitely nice if you can come, uh, and go hands-on with somebody that, that knows the process and can steer you through the mistakes. And in the long run, even if you wanted to get into it long-term, uh, we can save you a lot of money and heartache (laughs) of finding out of learning this the way I learned it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. 
Um, what what about uh, on common myths? This is kind of a common <laughs> common question, but uh, I'm just curious. You know, when people get into it, what what is something when they come into it maybe is a myth that they that you know they think is true but really isn't in kind of before they get into your class or building a rod. Well, uh, the biggest myth we see around bamboo rods in general is that they're fragile. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> some of the videos that we have on demonstrate that is not the case. Um, they're actually extremely tough, extremely durable. Mm. Uh, we've landed triple digit fish on these rods. Uh, I'm a huge saltwater fly fishing nut. I do at least as much of that every year as freshwater. And, um, you know, graphite rods are an amazing tool. Um, but one reason they can make them or that's so light is the trade-off is they're incredibly fragile. Um, which is why you get the unconditional guarantee because nobody pays $800 for a rod that's very likely going to break at some (laughs) point. So, um, but bamboo rods, I kind of make the comparison like um, you're looking at an America's cup mast that if the turnbuckle clips it, the whole thing falls down versus a pirate ship mast Mm. that can take a cannonball hit and keep on, you know? So they are more expensive. They are more beautiful, but they are not more fragile. Um, you can literally lay it on the highway and drive over it with your truck and pick it up and go fishing. And, uh, in fact, when I go to shows, one of the first things I do with them is that I give up my little casting demos, you know, as I, as I first string out a bunch of line, throw it down on the ground, jump as high as I can and stomp it with my heels three times. And then I pick it up and I throw the full fly line out through the tip top. And then I say, now let's talk about bamboo rods. Oh, wow. because the idea is that they're not powerful and that they're delicate. And, and that's certain there's not the case. I mean, there's rods that are hundred years old that are still being fished. You know, how many graphite rods are going to make it a hundred years right. and still be used. So, um, so that, that's the biggest myth we have to fight against is, um, you know, every other rod company in the world wants to tell you that they're yeah. outdated and no longer practical. And a lot of people believe that. And uh, a lot of our clients will go on a trip and the guide will be like, you can't fish that here, you know, like that's crazy. And, um, and but they're, they're, I'm a fisherman first. And if they weren't practical, functional fishing tools, I would do something else. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I love to go and, and put these things to the test and, and really use them hard. And so that's the biggest myth that we're fighting really against cool. is that they're just something to hang on your wall and be pretty, you yeah. know, but, um, that, that is not at all the case. That's a great uh, myth. I mean, for sure, because that is something that, you know, you think about if you don't know about it, you're like, yeah, these things are fragile, but, and these rods now, and I'm sure now technology wise, durability wise, like the, the, the glue, the stuff you use, is it, you know, is this rod now that you're building actually more durable than a rod that was built say 50 or a hundred years ago, just because of the type of glue you're using or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the tempering processes, the, polyurethane finishes the epoxies Mm. things that we have now that they didn't have then and those rods are still making it 100 years or more you know uh so uh and then they've only gotten more durable through the years so right so yeah there's uh yeah for sure 
It's good to go. This is cool. So, so you got the rod, and this thing is going to be lasting a lifetime, which is uh, it sounds like you know that's a pretty cool thing. And then also that you could build, like you said, tarpon. I mean, any rod, steelhead, any species. Somebody's listening now. If they want to go fish for whatever giant fish, there's a bamboo rod you could get. You could build one for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we'll make the rod to match the quarry. Uh, we do about a quarter of all the rods we make are saltwater rods, strangely. Mm. And wow. probably because of our proximity Location. to Florida, you know, yeah. yeah. Blue Ridge is a great tourist town for people coming from Florida because it's a real change of geography. So um, we get a lot of guys coming who've fly fished their whole lives and have never trout fished. So um, we make a, a lot of saltwater rods. In Blue Ridge, we can catch trout in the morning and be casting at tarpon in the afternoon by car. So it's a really unique, um, situation we're in here and, um, and it's allowed us to explore both, both sides of the fence. That's it. No, this is cool. We, we, we tried to touch on today, you know, definitely the rod building process, the classes, which are cool, but yeah, you, you definitely are building a lot of custom rods. So definitely want to note that, that if if somebody wanted to just grab a rod from you, that's something that you guys, you, you could probably, you wouldn't have to wait two years to get, right? No, we try, we work really hard to keep our wait list to a reasonable time. Like I mentioned at one point I was four years backlog and, and that was rod makers love to brag about the long wait, but the end result I found that is four years after ordering, you might take up golf, you know, or we have guys that you might die, <laughs> you know, right. I, I, we want people to have it while they're still excited to have it you know what i mean like if you want one uh we really try hard not to get over six months on the wait list um if if we're longer than that we adjust how we're working here to uh to to get you a rod um so we can get you uh, just about anything you want no matter how elaborate uh usually within a six month period and if we give you a date if it's uh executive retirement gift or it's your big trip to montana and we tell you a date we hit those dates that's it perfect all right bill well i you want to give a heads up and now we're we're kind of coming into this is probably let's see we're july august um you know the rest of this year anything you want to give a shout out to what you have coming anything new or you know with yourself or personally oh just uh just squeezing in as much fishing as i have time for myself so uh are you going around the uh, like destinations around the country? Or are you are you focusing kind of in your region? We I find a strange phenomenon that I've discovered is that if I'm anywhere near home, I'm working. Mm. So I tend to do more traveling to fish these days because yeah. I can go and get out and go for a week and just fish, you know. So uh, and, and kind of be away from from uh, the work questions and things. So um, I'll be heading out to Colorado here in, uh, in a month. And we were in Belize oh, wow. uh, earlier. And in the winter, we went to Louisiana and did the big redfish. So I don't get to fish as much as I used to when I, before I got into the fishing <laughs> business, uh, you know, I, I would fish three or four times a week, somehow, somewhere, these days, um, I fish less uh, often, but cooler places. So uh, with the business, it's allowed me to travel. We host trips. We 
been to Patagonia many times with groups and we go to Belize every year with groups and um, down by Paraguay for the Golden Dorado and um, a lot of international stuff. Um, and then try to slip back out west because, you know, such amazing fishing out there for trout. And um, and then, of course, I've got a flats boat from because we can be in Florida and yeah. uh, six and a half hour drive. And I love redfish and uh, yeah. and uh, me and my guys from work will head down and, and do that on our own as well. That's amazing. And, and, and you're using are they bamboos? Are you out there? It's all bamboo all the time all those trips yeah it's it's all bamboo it's not that i have any you know i'm not stuck up about it or anything oh, yeah. like that it's just what i do and no it's amazing and uh there's no way to test a rod than to get out and use the rod you know sometimes a rod can be amazing in the parking lot but you get it on the water you find things are a little bit different you know so yeah. uh we try to practice what we preach and uh, and use that experience to uh, help make sure that we're on the right track as well. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll send everybody out to uh, oysterbamboo.com if they have questions for you. And uh, yeah, Bill, just wanted to thank you for uh, all the time today and, you know, definitely shedding some light on what you have going there and giving people a little opportunity to, uh, you know, learn. I still have a bunch of questions, so we might have to circle around with you maybe uh, next year and check back in with you. But uh, yeah, thanks again for all your time. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. So there it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 343-343. We'll get you the links, the show notes, and you can check out some of these beautiful, beautiful rods that uh, Bill has going and some of the stuff we talked about. We also talked about the trivia challenge today, wetflyswing.com slash trivia. Uh, this is your chance to uh, get some uh, swag pack from uh, Togan's Fly Shop. They're giving away... Uh, swag packs this year if you head over there and answer the trivia question and uh, if, if you want to be reminded the question today from Bill was what country can lay claim to the invention of the split bamboo fly rod great question and I think you can get this one you can head over to wetflyswing.com trivia right now and check it out check out the Togans trivia challenge and uh, and you will be super cool if you do I'm going to get out of here because we got to get on to the next episode. We, we're going to keep this train rolling. We got, it's like a, it's like a platter on a sushi restaurant. That thing keeps ripping around. And sometimes, sometimes you miss that one you want and you got to wait a little bit as it circles around and then you're looking at it across and then it's across from you and then it's coming around and all of a sudden you see that one you wanted and you snatch it just like the next episode that's coming out here. Even if you miss it, it's going to be there for you. So, uh, so we're going to keep the sushi train rolling appreciate you for supporting the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. And, uh, and I hope you have a good evening, a good morning, or a good afternoon, wherever you are. I hope to see you online or maybe on the water. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.